Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm Windsor Powers. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. This was another really fun one, as always. We had John Reidman on. He was a writer for The Tonight Show, Late Night, WWE, which that was very cool. He also has a new uh, podcast coming out soon on iHeartMedia, dealing with WWE, which I think would be really cool to give a listen once it's out. He's a fantastic guest to talk about the NBA today. Yes! <laughs> a topic that you were already well-versed in, and I got to read your notes on because I didn't understand anything that was happening before then. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah. My <laughs> wife just got me a league pass recently. Like, they had a sale where you could get it for, like, 50 bucks for the rest of the season, and it's led to me, like, every night just turning on a random basketball game and watching at least, like, a quarter or two of it. I'm King of all I survey. That's a good gift for you. I mean, she nailed that. Yeah, she knocked out of the park. So this one was a lot of fun. John apparently knows everything about basketball. Yeah, I thought I was a basketball nerd and then he came on and I was realizing that I am nowhere near as clever as I thought I was. There was not a single thing you said that he wasn't nodding to other than the material for the original basket. Yeah, exactly. Everything else. He was like, oh yeah, and then just gave us some cool history on how it all happened. It was really cool to talk to. So this was a great episode. We had a lot of fun. So let's get into it. Let's go. John Reidman, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to do this. There are so many things that I'd love to do where it went wrong, but I'd hurt a lot of feelings in a lot of them. So picking one that's kind of broad where I don't have ties. This was a thing early on for us too, because, you know, we're both writers and the idea of like, how many people can I offend here that I potentially need to hire me later? Or just get an email. Yeah. I'm like, why, man? <laughs> Why'd you do that? And I wouldn't have an excuse. I'd go, yeah, you're right. Should have stayed in my lane. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple bands that I wanted to do where they went wrong, but then I I was like, oh man, I have a friend in each one of those. And then, like, <laughs> one of whom would very be like, take offense because like he disagrees. And then, yeah, there's a couple TV shows. You can't do that. You have friends working on them, you know? And one of the nice things about getting older is you meet people who do different things, but then you got to watch what you say about everything because it's like, oh man, I know someone there. I can't say that. Right. <laughs> that all makes complete sense. Yours are completely reasonable because you're saying like, oh, I have a friend that works on that show. I might want to get hired on that show. Oh, I have friends in these bands. Andrew went so far as to make us put off doing an episode on the Chicago fire because he <laughs> thought somehow someone was going to get offended. I stand by this. A <laughs> hundred years ago, Andrew. A lot of people died. <laughs> but that's the thing where I'd like to know where it went wrong. Well, we have an episode on it now. Yeah. After begging you. Yeah. It was, it, when we started this out, I'm like, all right, well, how much can we make fun of people who died? And then after a while, it's like, oh, easily. <laughs> but I could just see you be like, I don't know, man. I heard a goat might have kicked over a candle. Don't don't want to make the goats mad. I don't know who you think you'd be making mad. I don't know. Look, we are in Chicago where they have relatives and you know what? They survived a fire, so they're tough and ornery. And some people just like fire. They might just reach out and say, <laughs> Hey, we're from the National Society of Recognition of Fire. And you know what? It does good things. Scented <laughs> candles, gets rid of your leaves. What's your problem, man? Because it had one bad night in Chicago. Big deal. So did Charles Barkley. <laughs> you, you could have all sorts of people getting up. So you got to watch what you say. But like, I'll just know in my brain, I was like, I had a few that I was like, oh, I got opinions. But yeah, it got to be nice. But speaking of Charles Barkley, that segues very well into the topic you actually did choose for us, which was the NBA. You and I haven't 
talked much. I've known your work for a while. Michael told me about you like years ago when I started following you for your writing in general. And there was a lot of NBA content in general. Yeah, it's sort of <laughs> whenever I have someone I really respect, which is rare because like Twitter's kind of slowed down a little bit. I think people are kind of going away from it a little. I have no idea why. Maybe just because someone used it to become president. Yeah. <laughs> whenever someone says to me, oh, yeah, look, I have this many Twitter followers. I go, oh, you mean it's like uh, Trump when he became president? And that usually <laughs> slows that. Or like when I meet someone from Harvard, they go, oh, I went to Harvard. I go, oh, yeah, you and the Unabomber. <laughs> but yeah, I always tell people when they follow me, like I go, hey, I thank you so much for following if it's somebody like a writer I really love or somebody I go hey thank you for tomorrow on and just bear with me during the NBA playoffs You're right <laughs> and that's I really do I really there's someone that I might be working with on something and when we first connected I said you just just know Luckily, he's from New England, too. And he's like, oh, no, I get it. Yeah, it's frustrating. Right. It's weird because there aren't like other hobbies where when you're a comedian or writer, it's like I can suddenly talk about how I got super into woodworking. <laughs> you know, it's like we follow you for comedy. But for sports, it's very much like I know a lot of comedy accounts where when something's happening in sports, that entire week or month or whatever it is, is full of that. Well, then you do get different people. Like I hadn't talked to Morgan Murphy for a number of years. And then she and I just had like on Twitter, just like a quick thing because she likes the sports joke. Like it's a weird thing where you kind of go away from your, your normal friends push you away but then people you haven't heard from for a while are like hey i saw that play yeah they're like oh yeah hey yeah so you're like we do have something in common that's the fun of fandom in general mm -hmm. Absolutely. yeah i'm in new england right now at least through the, through the spring most likely but the thing i miss about being in new york is that it was a big deal to be a celtics fan yeah it really was it was like a dog seeing another dog right? <laughs> like, no for real like when i got promoted at fallon like you know you had to dress kind of a little bit nicer so i had to kind of reel it in but like when i was just staff writer you could just wear like a jersey or whatever to work you'd get off the subway and like other people in Celtic would come up and high five you you know or it'd be Knicks fans be like oh man I wish we were you guys you know like it was a big deal it was like I felt special I felt unique as a person and it's kind of weird to come when you're here and everyone's like oh yeah Celtics and you're all kind of the same right yeah and then it breaks it devolves into talking too much about them and like specific things and I'm just like oh man and then by the time it's on it's not fun right because you got to gauge a level of interest it's like I'm into it enough for the jersey but how into it are you I just like running into people and say, hey, we like the same thing. And then in New England, it's like, hey, let me ask you something. You think Al Horford and Ram Williams, can they coexist? And then you really <laughs> think about it and you break it down. And then you realize like, yeah, you're you're an hour late for a work deadline. It's like, <laughs> damn it. So like, yeah, I just like simple, like, hey, man, you and me like a thing. And just, yeah, and just fist bump. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing simple, like surface bonding. Yeah. Yeah. So being from New England, I guess you were just born into Celtics fandom. Yeah. It's like a religion for me and my family. I mean, gosh, I mean, I, this two of the first celebrities or people I could recognize were Larry Bird and Casey Jones. I knew they were the two most important people kind of running that team, best player and the coach. And yeah, I just remember I said images in my head of, you know, the green and white jerseys and stuff and the parquet floor. And, you know, my first toys when I was like three was like the Larry Bird basketball. Hoop. And this is when he really looked like Larry Bird. He had the mullet, right. he had a mustache, <laughs> pulled his socks up high, full gimmick. The most Larry Bird, Larry Bird, yeah. Getting the full bird. Yes. <laughs> And later years, he just had like a cool, he actually had a really cool haircut later, like a spiked up kind of like Ted Danson sort of thing. It was like, oh, he like shaved the mustache. I was like, oh, nice, kind of a good looking guy. Disappointing. Right. <laughs> I liked him when he was like pro wrestler, like territory wrestler, Larry Bird. There was a period where Larry Bird looked like he was constantly doing a parody of Larry Bird. Oh God. Oh, it's crazy. Some of the pictures like from the early 80s, like between his rookie season, I'm reading a book about a shout out to uh, Dan Shaughnessy, who's sort of an acquaintance. Of, uh, we have a few mutual friends. He's a columnist for the Boston Globe and he wrote a book about covering the Celtics and so Larry went through between his like first championship and his second one he kind of had that like go party for a couple of years thing going on and if you look at some of those pictures from that that like forgotten Larry you're like oh man like the hair's all uneven and everything right but yeah I grew up with them and it's ironic like I've always wanted to do a book about growing up about, about I mean I'm not anybody but if I was somebody I'd, I'd want to do a book about kind of how I missed the boat how like I, all, everyone else, all my older relatives had stories. They were like, I went and saw Bob Cousy play and he had a million assists. Or like when I saw Bill Russell and then I saw Cowens, I was right behind then Larry Bird. And then I'm just like, ah, because the nineties were kind of, yeah. the nineties were pretty bad. <laughs> and the commentators, I mean, Mike Gorman and Tom Heinsohn were kind of the stars for me just to get me through the game, just to be entertaining. And matter of fact, my this should set the tone for kind of not only who I am as a fan of the Celtics and what they mean. And I love them, but also what they 
they what they do to me and also set the tone for just who I am as a person is that my first game I ever went to in person. I never got to see Larry Bird play because he's playing very sparsely. Because the first Boston Garden, you didn't really bring kids. That was a rough place and you heard crazy, crazy things. So I didn't get to see Larry just between myself playing basketball as a young kid. My dad, he was flying as a pilot, so he had a weird schedule and just always busy. And then he was always hurt, so it never quite worked out. So I didn't get to see Larry play, but I got to see Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. And my first game I went to ever, and any Celtics fan that's listening to this is going to go, oh no, was... <laughs> April 29th, 1993, game one against the Charlotte Hornets in the first round of the playoffs. Notable because towards the end of the first period, Reggie Lewis, the best player on the team, face first onto the floor with a heart attack. And then they kind of walked him off the court and no one really, there was no Jumbotron at the time. There was no Twitter. You know, it's 93. No one knew what happened. And it was weird and they won, but it was like, what then was that? And then uh, two months later, he had a fault. He had like another cardiac event and passed away. And so that was my first game was me 10 years old. So happy. And I can see it in my mind's eye. Reggie was 35, just boom, right down on the floor. And whenever I tell someone that they always cut me a little more slack as a person. Yeah. <laughs> They're always like, Oh, and then I noticed the next day they're a little, they're a little bit easier on me. A little bit. Yeah. They're just like, <laughs> yes. And I'm like, oh, there's others too. I went to a Beach Boys concert when I was five and spent the whole time looking for Dennis Wilson. And then like a month <laughs> later, my parents finally were like, yeah, he's dead. And that's what he didn't want to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I got a whole bunch of those where it was like, yeah. And kind of like George and Seinfeld and he going against the Andrew Doria guy to get the apartment. Like, yeah. He's had the worst <laughs> life. I'd like to go up like. Look, I read that article by Anna Marie Tendler and I thought what her life's been the past couple of years. And first of all, I thought it was, I came away really liking her, but I did want to be like, I'd like to have a George Costanza contest with you. Yeah, I think I could do worse. Yeah. <laughs> I understand it's been a tough couple of years. It's been a really tough couple of years for me too. And let me hear, hear about my childhood too. Hear about right. some of the things I went to. <laughs> Saw some messed up stuff. You were just bringing dark fates onto everything you were a I fan am. of whenever yeah. you showed up. Yeah. But hey, man, whenever I leave a basketball game, legit thought is always, well, everyone's still here. Yeah. yeah. So that was awful. There was no defense. And uh, I don't know. No one's listening to anything. I mean, these bad contracts. But, you know, they're all, everyone's alive. Yeah. I will say we do have a very special player connection because I am a Memphis Grizzlies fan, which means Tony Allen. Yes. There you go. No. Oh gosh, what a mess up by Ainge. I had a theory about Ainge that the further they got in the playoffs, the worse he'd blow it. And maybe that's true because of the manpower or whatever. I think that might be true. Because <laughs> it really did seem like in 08 and 2010, it was like, what happened? Like there were just a bunch of weird moves. So yeah, I could not believe. And he got his number retired in Memphis. Actually, not really. He was in the insurance scam. He's wrapped up in that. Right. He was supposed to get his number retired. Yes. Zebo got it retired. Well, he's at least going to get a whole new number on yeah. the back of what he gets to wear now. <laughs> what? Being optimistic. But that's the thing about Ainge is that he always talks and talks about like how young talent, the Celtics let get away and, you know, all those things that Rick Pitino did wrong. And I'm like, yeah, so Chauncey Billups, I mean, I, I get all that but then I'm, I want to go to him and be like, yeah, I hear what you're saying about all those guys, but in shots built there. What about like Terry Rozier and Tony Allen? And like, ah, you can let some guys get away kind of too, sort of. It's like, oh yeah, we could have great players or we could have a thousand picks that might become a great player. Which <laughs> would you rather have? And it's just like, yeah, Ainge, I guess. Well, also, well, I think the thing was that, that Brooklyn trade, it's just he fleeced him so bad that no one ever wanted to really trade with him again. Also, people don't realize too, like Boston's a small town so if, you know you always kind of run into someone and become friends and friends with somebody like they were a lot closer on Durant than people realize like within the hour they were like they thought they were right down to the last minute and he took his time and it almost worked but that was really like once you fleece somebody on a trade and outthink them it's very hard to come back from that and you better hope that you get lucky in the draft or in free agency they're not going to deal with you anymore so that's why brad stevens this year put his noggin to use and went out and got a bunch of weird guys <laughs> he's like yes he made a couple bad trades i'm not going to be dumb make a good one i'm gonna do some weird stuff <laughs> the celtics are such an odd team this year i'll admit i'm just riding this train of the grizzlies being great oh the grizzlies dude i would have called that too oh i 
I've been calling it every year for years, but it's actually happening now. During pandemic, by like, okay, time, because like, I, I can't do like nighttime meditation and stuff, man. It just makes me think too much. <laughs> so sometimes I'll read or I'll sit pad, but sometimes I'm too antsy. I'll, I'll play 2K because you can get it super cheap, you know, like on, on the PS4, it's like 20 bucks. But I was just looking at the Grizzlies in that game. And I was like, man, these guys are going to be like rocking like one of these years. Like all these guys, when they get good, because no one knows about them. They're a very small market team. The whole team is like in their early 20s. But they're good. When I saw what's going on there, I was like, yeah, these guys are going to be good. So when people were talking about them moving, I was like, I don't think so, man. I think you uh, have thought about the Celtics. It's just, it's like, they're starting to win now. They're starting as when we record this in late January, they're starting to win. But like, it just seemed like they were just tired of each other. It just really seemed like people who've been roommates for too long. <laughs> you know, when you have that roommate, you guys always need to take a shower at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> That's Brown and Tatum. It's like good people, but uh, oh, you're going, oh. I was going to, oh, okay. all right. Well, I thought it was my turn. Oh, oh sh- okay. I thought I was going to be the guy this game. Are you the guy? I thought I was the guy. And then everyone's looking at it and being like, oh, these are two good people, but man, they take showers at the same time. One of them's got to move. <laughs> That's the fear. But I mean, we'll see. We, you got to remember them too. They're still in their early twenties. And it's just, the problem is mentally they're like 45 for they've been around for so many, for a few years now and so much turnover in Boston and all that stuff. But it's tough for me to watch the NBA right now. It's just a game of horse. And I know I sound like an old man saying that, but really sit yourself down and try to watch a game that you're not invested in a game where you're not, your team's not in it. And even if your team is in it, it's like on a Wednesday night, maybe when you're kind of tired, it's hard to not just go, Oh, screw this. And just like turn it off. Cause it's just like everything's a three or a weird foul that gets reviewed. Everyone's trying to be the Warriors. And my favorite eras of NBA would be, I would say from 07 to 2012, which is when you had those great Heat, Lakers and Celtics and Spurs teams. And it was just, there was a lot of talent and then they all had personalities and it was really interesting. And you really didn't know who was going to win the championship. No one would surprise you, but it was like, man, and there were surprises. There was like when the Spurs beat the Heat that year. Yeah, that was, I was watching that every game, just fucking railing. Yeah. And then like when the Orlando Magic got to the final, it was like, whoa, that was crazy. You're not supposed to be here. This is supposed to be a club. You're not supposed to get in. They won a game. They won a game in the finals. And then my other favorite era was the very early 90s, like 90 to 92, 93, because it's a similar style. You had a lot of talent and it was spread out. And you had some new young teams, but then you had the older teams that were like still good. You still had to go through them. You still had to go through the Lakers, the Pistons, the Celtics, and the Bulls did not get through them right away. But then it ended. And that kind of brings us to what we're talking about, where it's like, I think there could have been a lot more. I think the 80s could have gone into the 90s a little bit more. Had some stuff gone a little bit different. Well, before we get into that, let's talk about the history of the sport itself, because I actually did the research on this one and fucking wild. So (laughs) basketball began in 1891 in Springfield, Massachusetts, by a Canadian physical education instructor named James Naismith. And he pretty much designed it to be less injury-prone football that could be done in winter. That was his original thing that he was setting out to do. He worked at the YMCA International Training School at Springfield College, and he was pretty much instructed, like, make up a game for everyone to play. It consisted of peach baskets and a soccer ball, and he published 13 rules for it, and he divided his class of 18 into two teams of nine to play against each other. The objective of the game was to throw the basketball into the fruit basket baskets nailed to the lower railing of the gym balcony. Every time a point was scored, the game was halted so the janitor could take out a ladder, go (laughs) up there and take the ball out so that they could resume playing. The first public game of basketball is in 1892. How long did it take them to just finally realize you could cut out the bottom? Here's the wild (laughs) thing. At one point, they're like, what if we put a hole in the bottom of the basket to help us get the ball out easier? And they're like, brilliant. So what they did was they drilled a hole big enough for a stick to go up and poke the ball out. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So I just want everyone to know when it's telling me is that in simpler terms, Massachusetts has always been Massachusetts. <laughs> it was always a kid. You know what you got? We need a, we need a hole in there. Yeah, we should <laughs> to put, to put the stick through and push it out. You read my mind. <laughs> I love that the entire premise was basically the opening scene of an infomercial. Like, there has to be a better way with, like, a guy who can't open a milk carton. It's like... <laughs> the second a hole was said, you're like, yes! And then it's just like a tiny one for a stick. They're going to figure it out. Like, I bet you five <laughs> years from now, they will figure out the cure to everyone shooting too many threes. And it'll be something so simple, and we'll go, oh, this will sound <laughs> stupid. We'll be like, I don't know what the problem. I don't know what to do. 
Joe Giza, who's a producer for WBZ TV in Boston, he had a really fun idea, which was if you miss a three, you get a point taken away. Oh, that's okay. interesting. And I was like, ah. I think at first people would be like, oh, I'm too cool for this. Yeah. <laughs> I think a year and a half in, it would be basketball again. And I think also some fun interactions between the coaches and the players. Yeah. That- Stop trying that. Like I've seen games <laughs> where so many threes are just jacked up that are just awful. Give me a negative 20 game because Curry's having an off night. <laughs> there was a Chris Ford who was the coach when I was a kid. Oh God, if you sh- if anyone shot, other than Larry shot a three, Larry or D Brown, it was like, oh man, you're dead. So that's when they went right. That's when they got it right was they finally put the hole in the bottom of the basket. Exactly. The small hole was the step in the right direction. <laughs> Eventually the hole was expanded. Yeah. Man, I can't wait to tell people. I didn't know that their solution was dumb. Yeah. I didn't even know that part of it. That is such a Massachusetts thing yeah. of just like, no, you know what? Don't fix it. Yeah. Keep it your, your idea is worse than the other thing. Like they got rid of the ladder and that was it. They still made a big retrieval. The janitor's out of the job and you still have the same problem. So I was looking at this and thinking, okay, well, this had to be a huge issue. And Wen did some great research on this. So I thought like, how often did they have to do this? Like the game had to go on for hours, but the first game ended with a score of one zero. Like, <laughs> And this was without the obviously soon to be implemented negative point rule. So it's like the janitor had to come out once. Ultimately, I can see why they didn't focus on the hole too hard, but it seems like an easy solution. Old timey basketball scores are hilarious that I realized (laughs) while I was going through this. Like if you think like, oh, the 90s were great because they all ended in scores of 78 to, you know, 91. It was just like, okay, I guess that was fun. But could you imagine seeing for a whole game that's not being played by small children where you're like, (laughs) one Oh, fuck yeah, we did it. That's what most other sports are. This makes sense as to why they thought this was, you know, a thing. Because it's like, that's what soccer is, This is which is what they're competing with. That's what hockey is. The thing is, that's <laughs> challenging because, like, the defense is so good and it's so hard. This one was just like, everyone is so bad. Nobody has a concept of how to throw something into a basket, apparently, even though that is something that you do in your daily life for other reasons. I was thinking about it. Like, I played high school basketball and I was thinking about, like, because in New Hampshire, there's no shot clock, which is such a big flaw. Like, I'm good friends with uh, my, my, the guy that was my freshman coach is now the varsity coach my old high school. And I think he had just graduated. We were like his first job. Uh, we, was, we had him as like his second year of coaching. And so, you know, we've stayed friends and stuff. I always say to him, I'm like, Does, do you still kind of laugh that no one notices there's no shot clock? And he's like, yeah, it's so weird. It's like, he's <laughs> like, I don't know how the game works. And it's like, I don't either. Because like, I thought about it in later years. And I was like, if it were me, here's what I would do. I would go to the coach and I'd be like, look, I have a plan, but you just got to trust me. I would gain like a hundred pounds. Yeah, so I would just eat all this food. Like I'm a football ball linebacker, get super big and fat, but I would practice my shooting. I would score one basket at the beginning of the game. And then the next time we get the ball where we're ahead, I would just put the ball down and lie down on top of it. <laughs> just lie there and just, just make like a dome over the ball. Because if you touch me, it's a foul and there's no shot clock. And so it would be like, if we, as soon as we're in the lead and we get the ball, ball down, fat Reinman on top of it. Coach would yell, fat Reinman. And everyone know that the play. And I just go and get down. You can't touch me. I will yell. He's got, he's all over me, ref. You touch me and I don't have to shoot. No shot clock. And uh, when it kind of wins two to one again, undefeated. I would pay so much money to see this game live. Some kids, (laughs) the kids are great. Someone's going to listen to this and do it. (laughs) You know, it's like extra innings in baseball where it's like, we're, we're starting to realize that like, this is flawed. There's a problem here. You can't have a thing that just could go forever, you know? So the first public game was played in 1892. In 1894, the soccer ball was replaced by Naismith when he contracted Spalding to make a new ball for the game. So that was the beginning of the Spalding basketball. It's nice to hear the, the phrase contracted in a positive thing. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> yeah, so you said Kyle's going to go, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, contract, good, got a deal. Because in the original version, because this is like a soccer ball and balls aren't really designed to bounce, there was no dribbling, right? Like you couldn't run with the ball. You had to catch the ball, stay where you were, and pass it, right? Yes. Basically, ultimate Frisbee rules. The referee was told, like, if they're running full sprint when they catch the ball, they get, like, one or two steps they're allowed to take, but then they have to stop and throw it to another teammate. Because, yeah, you couldn't dribble the ball at all. So, eventually, the game starts spreading out. Dribbling is later implemented. Because it started with YMCA, pretty much it began to spread to all the different YMCAs in America and Canada. And then when World War I broke out... In 1914, those soldiers who'd been playing basketball 
basketball at their local YMCA took it to Europe with them. They pretty much spread it throughout the world. So the first professional league was founded in 1898 and six teams took part in the National Basketball League. The first champions were the Trenton Nationals, followed by the New York Wanderers, the Bristol Pile Drivers, and then the Camden Electrics. Names are really all over the place here. Yeah, right? They're, they're... <laughs> and that league ended in 1904. <laughs> 1904 was also the year that they actually said, what if we just did a hoop? What if we got rid of the little hole and we added a hoop? And the backboard was also established and the net. And I realized that the net is there. Like They added it so that you had a visual component of knowing that the ball went through the hoop. I love the idea that this is the same year. And as soon as they added very basic things to prove that the ball went in, all of the leagues were like, we're out. We're not doing that. Hey guys, we fixed it. Great. We're done. <laughs> like, like, fuck that. No. Well, yeah, this game's fucking over. We're all over this bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when Vince did the XFL 2.0 and it was actually pretty good. And then COVID happened. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, dude, I was there when he was working on it. And man, he worked so hard on that thing and it was good. And then it just like week four, they were like, the world's closed. <laughs> I could hear from Stanford. God yeah it's weird how that happens like that's a very like cultural thing where it's like why don't you just listen to the fix man and then give it another shot yeah it's just weird that a national basketball league closed in 1904 but 1904 is also like one of the biggest years in basketball history because we get the hoop the net the backboard, the first Olympic exhibition basketball game is played in Springfield, Missouri. And also you have the beginning of the Black Fives era, which is when black basketball leagues actually opened up and pretty much in New York, Washington, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and a lot of other cities. And by the way, for, for everyone, I'm obligated to mention for anyone listening out there that, that has certain notions about the Celtics, Boston Celtics were the first team to draft black player, first team to have an all black star five and the first team to hire a black coach. So and certain pundits from ESPN like to talk about, Oh, you know, those Celtics. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I do. That's, that's what they're all. <laughs> I do it. You don't, but sure. Go for it. You know who you are. <laughs> this is a really targeted podcast just for this one guy who knows it. Yeah, I'm just going to tweet it out. Of no, it's just a whole bunch of them. Every time someone leaves the Celtics, like, well, we know why. So yeah. I'm like, that's why Doc Rivers was the coach and Casey Jones was the coach. And okay, sure. Red Auerbach, a Jewish man from Brooklyn, was the most important person of the team. But yeah, you're right. We're all a bunch of, just a bunch of Catholic Irish people on the Celtics. <laughs> it's pretty much people are just like, Larry Bird played for them. So all the players have always been white, right? It's just like, no. <laughs> Look, I'm not I'm not going to let some of the fans off the hook. That's for sure. But I'm just saying organizationally, it's like, no, it's ridiculous. You're trying to make money, dude. You're trying to win. So it's like even if aliens showed up and were here to try to murder us and they were genuinely bad beings, but we're good at basketball, like in Space Jam, the owner would be like, will you take a two year deal? So it's just it's a business. Everyone's trying to win and make. So the idea that as an organization, they're, they, have a, they have a policy or something. It's like, yeah, no, they've always been like the little brother in Boston sports. So it's always like, well, man, we're cool. We're cool with whoever, like as long as they're good dudes. I love the idea that if Space Jam were real, we would be the bad guys trying to recruit the aliens and force them to play on our team. No, if Space Jam were real, we yeah, we would be the bad guys now. Yeah. I think about it, that reframes Space Jam a little bit for me. Right. We would be Danny DeVito's character. <laughs> the guy who's like, no, get the best ones, make them play. Yeah, they play great defense. They take your skills away. Yeah. So like everyone out there is like, oh, they're the bad guy. Why? Just because they were against Michael Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> what has Michael Jordan done for you? They did a documentary on the bad boys. Everyone likes the Pistons again. Why not the Space Jam? The Monstars. Yeah. They shut down Jordan. That's great. Where's that 30 for 30? Not, yeah, it should be. You shouldn't be like, oh, they're the bad guy. You should be interviewing them. You're like, man, you did it. Tell me how you how you shut down Jordan for a little bit. I would honestly love a Last Dance style documentary just interviewing the Monstars and just having that break them down. Well, now that we've said it, and this is going to be somewhere, you'll probably see it on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Next episode. <laughs> oh, no. That's how things get on TV nowadays. You can't. It's, it's a stay puff principle, as I call it. You think of it and you say it. Someone somewhere goes, oh, they're right. Yeah. And it shows up. You go, ah, damn it. Shouldn't have told anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Just let that let that exist in my head and do nothing with it. But when so we're at like 1907 now, right? Yeah. Well, actually, in 1910, Howard University established its first varsity basketball team. So uh, that began bringing in basketball to the HBCUs around the country. And then uh, we had the rise of the original Celtics. 
who were known as the fathers of basketball and were presented as the world's basketball champions. They actually had players that had to sign contracts to play with them and they organized themselves pretty much like a circus. They would go from town to town playing exhibition games against whoever was pretty much willing to field a team to play against them. And so the Celtics, when more teams popped up, they became the strongest team and their success lasted from 1922 until 1928 when the team disbanded due to ownership problems. Now, they're the original Celtics. They are not related in any way to the Boston Celtics. That's right. New York, right? Right. The Boston Celtics came in 1946, so about two decades after the original Celtics shut everything down. But it's a good name, so why not use it? Well, we pronounce it wrong, so that's the first reason. Yeah. But other than that... <laughs> yeah, we kind of get a weird pass for that one. Not from Ireland. Yeah, it's a cool name. But it's actually cool because the original Celtics, they would play the Wrens, which is short for the New York Renaissance, which was an all-African-American team that would travel with the Celtics so that they could do these exhibition games. Hear that, everybody? You got the wrong Celtics. <laughs> The original Celtics, go yell at them. Yeah. Pardon the interruption. That's your problem. Dude, you got the wrong Celtics. Joke is on you. So they would travel around with them, but then they ended up becoming the first champions of the World Professional Basketball Tournament in 1939. So they were supposed to just be around for the Celtics to like beat if they couldn't have another team, but then they ended up playing so well that they won the entire world championship in 1939, which is a fun fuck you. Yeah, that is funny. Why isn't that a movie, by the way? That should be a movie. It should be. There should definitely be a movie about this. I mean, we shouldn't write it, but someone should. (laughs) I want me at the beginning of it, me and Bill Simmons, to just give a two-minute preface of like, folks, this is a different Celtics. Yeah. And then like maybe every half hour, one of us like in the heavy screener, it's like pop up in the corner. Just a reminder, different Celtics, not us. In 1926, you also have the Harlem Globetrotters being founded in Chicago. The thing is, they called themselves the Harlem Globetrotters so that when people saw the word Harlem, they would be like, yes, this is an all-black team, so therefore there'd be no misunderstanding of who was playing. So they wanted to make sure that they were advertising just like, hey, don't come here if you don't want to watch us play. Fuck you, stay out. So they actually made headlines around the country in 1948 because they beat the Lakers, who were like known as the best white basketball team in the world. Yeah, George Mikan. Yeah, all those guys. Yeah, no, that used to be the thing is what I remember even when I think like Bob Cousy and those guys were on the Celtics and I think maybe even for a little while, I think when Russell was there, maybe at the very beginning for him before Wilt came along to be his rival, that was the draw. They do the double header Celtics. It was like a concert after the game. So the current Celtics would play their opponent and then the Globetrotters would come out and most people were there for the Globetrotters. So for a while Globetrotters were playing as like a real team. What do you mean were real? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I did actually read because obviously we know that they beat the Washington Generals and now a different team. They switched in like 1995 in every game. And apparently there was one where they weren't really paying attention to the score. Obviously, you already know about this, but basically when they're on defense, the generals let them do whatever they want, but they play on offense. So at one point they weren't keeping track of the score and uh, the Globetrotters actually lost a game, which everyone was like, this is not what we came here for. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That was the original Montreal screw job yeah. for any wrestling fans out there. Globetrotters went back and just spit on everybody. How could you do this to me? Yeah. Could you imagine somebody made a crusty like move and bet against the Globetrotters and then they, <laughs> they hit on that bet? I can't imagine. I'd imagine them probably going missing the next day. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if people from, no offense, Chicago or if you got people from Boston and Chicago involved. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be taken care of. Say, yeah. Hey, you hit on that bet. Congratulations. See you never. <laughs> what happened to the money? He donated. He donated. It's all good. What I appreciate about the Globetrotters is they brought ladders back to basketball <laughs> after they had been gone for so long. That's true. They brought, yeah, there was a big uh, <laughs> big bucket of confetti. I saw them when I was a kid. It was a fantastic show. That was, someone had a monologue joke at late night. It might have been Morgan. I think Morgan Murphy had the joke at late night that was like a small fire broke out at a Harlem Globetrotters game. It got even worse when they tried to put it out with a bucket of confetti. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic joke. That's fantastic. <laughs> 
I don't get it. It's usually funny. No, it's a fire, you idiot. (laughs) Isn't what buckets are for? Confetti? No. So in 1946, the Basketball Association of America was founded in New York. And then the league adopted the name the National Basketball Association in 1949 after they merged with their rival, the National Basketball League. The all-white National Basketball League began to racially integrate in 1942 with 10 players joining two teams, the Toledo Jim White Chevrolets and the Chicago Studebakers. I'm just like, damn, the Toledo Jim White Chevrolets. Honestly, the names are getting out. I feel like this is like the, (laughs) if we named it like the boss did a happy birthday at Kathy's. Like this is just some dude who's paying to get this name out there. It's incredible. Someday it's going to be the Boston Duncan Celtics. Yeah. It's going to be that someday. We all know it. Right. So that was the National Basketball League in 1942. The NBA integrated in the 50 to 51 season, uh, just two years after its founding, with three black players each achieving a separate milestone in that process. So in the draft held immediately prior to the season, Chuck Cooper became the first black player drafted by an NBA team. Shortly after that, Nate Clifton became the first black player to sign an NBA contract. And then finally, Earl Lloyd became the first black player to appear in an NBA game as his team started their season shortly before Cooper and Clifton's. So all three of those three things really back to back to back. I can't imagine like any of this was done well with like an understanding of, hey, we were so wrong. We got to make this right. But the idea of like, good, we're just trying to go all in quickly here is at least encouraging. Then in 1954, they finally added the 24 second shot clock to speed up the game. So therefore, the fat Reinman would no longer be a play you could do in the NBA. It would no longer work. No, it'd be Bob Cousy in the locker room going, wow, you really screwed me out there when I was down the floor. I was trying to get you the ball. I didn't know where you would go. I was just lying on top of it. And then in the 79 to 80 season, they introduced the three-point line, which was done to spread out the players because they would just prominently stand underneath the basket. And ironically, the person who made the first three-point the most anti-three-pointer coach, Chris Ford of the Boston Celtics. Really? Yeah. Like I said, if one of those guys shot a three, oh, you'd get this, his mustache would be flaring. And then you're like, well, who made the first one? Chris Ford. Yeah. And he regretted it every day. Yeah. Isn't Larry Bird's <laughs> first game ever. That was a, but it was not made by Larry Bird's Chris Ford, Boston Celtics. Yeah. I could see it being a necessary addition too for the idea of like, yeah, this is just stand under the basket. That's where you're going to have the best shot of getting this in. Also, just in terms of mathematics and how our body works, you have a better shot of getting the ball in shooting underhand, the granny style throwing, which is the term obviously used to be like derivative. And I get why you can't do it during the game, but I feel like it should be used during free throws. Like I get this is embarrassing, but you have a better shot of making it in this way. I think it was Rick Barry when Shaq couldn't make his free throws. Rick Barry worked with him on how to do underhand. And at the end of it, I guess Shaq was just like, it's all rep albums. Yeah. He said something (laughs) like that. He's like, I'll lose my cred. I just can't do it. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It looks less cool so much so that people are risking points to not have to do it. World be free, I believe, a shot underhanded. But it was like, yeah, and, and uh, Rick Perry, that was like, it. I'll tell you a guy to look up. If you ever want to look up the craziest free throw is Don Nelson. Like we know him as a coach, but when he was a player, oh my God, it's like a Charles Barkley golf swing. <laughs> you feel like you're on acid watching people do Tai Chi. You're like, how is the body moving like that? But he made them. Like they went in and just everyone at the line is like trying not to fall. They're like, is he shooting and it is the ugliest thing look google don nelson free throw it is like oh my god he's in the hall of fame yeah and it works that's ridiculous man things went back then well i don't know i think someone should bring back the crazy free throw you know it'd be like a funny like gif or something i think nowadays it could be fun yeah now we just have long wind-ups now everyone makes fun of giannis for just having a long like taking his time on it but i'm just like why the fuck not i'm of the mind of just like if i have that many people watching me do anything and i have to make it in order to like keep making a a lot of money. I'm going to take my sweet ass time. Yeah. <laughs> but I interrupt with it because I know you want to get to the 80s and for the where it went wrong too. So what do we have after this? We've got the uh, three point line. We've got the shot clock. What's next? So in the 1950s and the 1960s, pretty much the influx of black players, we started having all black starting fives. This increased a lot of viewership for the game. People were super interested. This started to decline again in the 70s. And by 1979, the NBA's TV audience declined 18% in a single season. But this 
start to turn around with the drafting of two great players, Magic Johnson and your Larry Bird, which then sent ratings skyrocketing because of those matchups. They became a marquee heavyweight matchups that like pretty much everyone would watch. And that leads us to where did it go wrong, John? I'm going to go back to uh, 85 is where it first went wrong, but I'm going to circle back to that later. The year that stands out in the news that is would be 86, the 86 draft. Now, the obvious big thing there was the sad death of Len Bias. And a lot of people talk about that. He was drafted to the Celtics, but really could have gone anywhere. And he's become more and more of a known people know the name now. And it's because the ringer did a great podcast led by, and I urge people to listen to it. I don't want to get myself sued or get you guys in trouble, but if you really listen to the details of that night, I feel like there's still some investigating to do there because they said that if they had been on the operating table, ready to have his heart restarted and had done the love, the kind of cocaine he did, he would have still died. That's what they said. And then my question is, okay, why did no one else die that night that had the cocaine? And then you kind of go into his circle of friends and stuff and you're like, hmm. So it's one of those things where I think maybe deserves another look. And I talked to someone at the ringer and they were like, you're onto something. But it came out during the pandemic and it was just like any other year, that podcast episode would have been huge. And then it just kind of flew under the radar. Like people were just like, yeah, we're all dying from COVID. Yeah. So like check it out. It's called What If? It's this Len Bias pod. Really good. But, you know, as a Celtic fan, you know, we all bemoan it because we're like, oh my God, we could have kept going. We could have kept on winning for years and years and just had all the championships. But, you know, I talked to a friend who's a broadcaster who saw Len Bias play in college numerous times and said, without exa- this person does not exaggerate, said he was the best player he ever saw. Oh, wow. Really? Yep. The best player. He said, if you combine Jordan with LeBron, that's basically where you were getting with Len Bias. That is literally the highest praise you could possibly give a player. The two names I actually know are the top two. <laughs> he was built like LeBron and he could move like Jordan. Like he had like, he he was just a giant like pro wrestler football could be like a boxer build and but just had this crazy amazing jump shot that just net barely moved when it went through and play defense and could play three or four different positions anything other than point guard really and just amazing and so had he gone anywhere it would have been tragic had he if it was Cleveland or if it was the Hawks or whoever this was a guy that was supposed to be Jordan's rival and Jordan's admit you know there's all these you know when you watch that game it's on YouTube of North Carolina playing a uh, Maryland there's all all these pictures of the two of them together and everyone's always like man feels empty you know you're just kind of like this was supposed to be the thing but a thing a lot of people don't talk about with the 86 draft is it wasn't just len bias passing away but the last pick in that draft in the first round the portland trailblazers took arbitus sabonis who we might remember if you grew up in the 90s arbitus did make it over to play for portland and he was with him for deep playoff runs and he was i think he was there for about seven or eight years but the arbitus by the time he got here it was 95 we got like looks like a dad, right. Arvidas. He did. He looked like Ray Bork or like, you know, one of your friend's dads at like, you know, the soccer game or something. And he was kind of slow, but he was still really good. I think he still made some all-star teams. But the problem was because of the Cold War and because of embargoes and things like that, very difficult. It was very kind of illegal to bring athletes over from certain nations in Eastern Europe. I believe he was Lithuanian. So he just had to stay in Europe. So it was kind of a gamble. Portland drafted him. It was a late pick. It was like, you know, and that's why he went so low. And the thing is, if you go on YouTube and you just look up clips of Arvita Sabonis in the 80s, you won't recognize him right away. He had a much different, he had like a mustache. He had this long, crazy, he was a scary looking dude. Not the friendly, like loving giant that Arvita, he was a scary, mean looking basketball player. And this guy could ball. This guy was like frightening. And they tell a story about a couple of years after he was drafted when they were like, yeah, this guy might come over. It was kind of like a Godzilla thing where they're like, <laughs> he might come one of these years. And everyone was kind of getting ready for it. I think the Celtics had an exhibition game in Europe. And so like Mikhail and Walt and then Parrish and all those guys went to just check it out. And they all looked at each other. I remember Bill Walton being like, well, I am done with the game of basketball. <laughs> like, that's what they said. He said, like, they were all like, and Mikhail was like, oh my God, that guy's going to kill us. And they were just kept kind of looking over their shoulder. And so it's a real shame because it's like, those are two all-time greats. I mean, you could have had maybe the best player of all time or someone at least to give Jordan a little bit of trouble, which would have been interesting to see Jordan in a different light. 
and also a guy who would have been by all accounts easily a top five center if not two or three or maybe even you know we'll get to what could have been but he would have been in that mix of just a guy where you're like what do we do what do we do with a seven four guy who can dribble and pass and shoot threes and also if he just gets tired go stand on the block and just kill everybody like kareem and kevin McKellar. he's unbelievable dude check him out if you get a chance it's like he was like the original greek freak he was the original Giannis and two very different people different personalities kind of the same in a sense that they're both kind of laid back which is interesting but on the he is scary as hell I'll get up when you see him play old RV. It's the only person I would compare him to really is Giannis where I'm like, I don't do that. I don't know what you're supposed to do. There's no other <laughs> human or tandem of humans that can figure out other than just grab him before he tries to shoot. So I think that that 86 draft, a lot of disappointments because of the drug uh, epidemic in that year's class, Len bias chief among them, most tragic, obviously, but it's also just such a, bittersweet what if that we got to see the tail end of Arvidas and he was good then and you're like what could that guy have done you know with the three-point line and you know with playing within in the western conference with those running gun I mean my goodness he might have averaged a triple double he might I mean he would just be unbelievable and then by the time we got him he was yeah he was slow he'd already had a couple ankles ACL injuries and it was like still decent but you know he was just the center by the time he came over here so that's my first thing I think it also went wrong I alluded to a minute ago I'll go back to 85 because in 85 we all know about Magic Johnson so the obvious the bird magic thing that's a rivalry that's what got us through the 80s and they each say that you know, it wouldn't have been the same. They're each like, yeah, I wish I could have won every championship, but it wouldn't have been the same. We wouldn't have gotten the same coverage. We wouldn't have got the same talk going, you know, between people. Who do you pull for if, if I didn't know another guy? You know, I needed competition. And a knock about that kind of goes back to the Jordan bias thing where it's like a knock about Jordan. If you weren't from Chicago in the 90s, was like, ugh, you know, people tried to make rivals for him. They're like, Clyde Drexler. I was like, get out of here. And then like <laughs> Charles Barkley. And I was like, you don't really even sit play the same way. Like, that's not, that doesn't count. Out. And then no one, well, like Kobe came along and they missed each other by like a year of being, you know, they were only in one all-star game together. So it was like, you know, when Jordan was playing for the Bulls. Yeah, it was just the same thing. And it led to some apathy. And I think that the game slowed down because everyone was trying to t- do their defense to get ready to cover Jordan. And there's a lot of isolation and it just got like, ugh, whatever. And so Magic Bird, that was the thing that it was keeping things pumping while we were trying to figure out who Jordan's rival was going to be. And so we all know that Sadly, in, in uh, the fall of 91, we find out the Magic's HIV positive. And at the time, uh, steps away from the game. Knowing what we know now, and since he did make a comeback later on, he could have played, but we didn't know what we know now. And so very scary. And I remember seeing him when I was working in late night and he came on the show and I was like, man, he's here. Like, I just remember thinking like, gosh, like he's still here. Like he's still magic, you know? But it was an off-court thing. It wasn't like he tore out his knee. It wasn't like he got a concussion. It was like, it was something in his personal life that ultimately made him have to step back. Larry Bird, you know, he admitted to this about a decade ago and he's been, he's kind of come out and talked more about it. Summer of 85, he orders a driveway for his mom in Indiana. Get these, like, I'm going to get you a new driveway. He gets it all set up and everything. That part of the company or whoever had to dig daily. Then the paving guys show up and everything. And he's like, how much y'all want for this? And it was like, it was like uh, 500 bucks or something. Larry goes, 500 bucks? Shoot, I'm not paying you no 500 bucks. That's t- I'll give you like 200. And they were like, no, you do it. He said, all right. So true story. Larry Bird starts shoveling gravel all by himself on a hot Indiana day into his mom's driveway and tears the muscle off the bone in his back. Oh, Hurts his back and didn't want to tell anybody that's how it happened. So he plays like until 90 91 with this just messed up back literally from a home improvement putting in a driveway with a shovel wow. and he was like i can do this by myself and he'd have to go and he was in traction between games because they were like if you if you fall out of bed you could be paralyzed and everything and so i just look at that and i'm like that's a rivalry at magic bird where they're like those are man i think those guys each had four or five more years they could have gone and that rivalry should have been in like a decade and a half rivalry and i think that just sort of the way they each played with the way that magic was fine but even with bird that bigs were starting to shoot threes he could just go hang out the three-point line and just take some shots and stuff like that so i think that the 86 draft is a big one i think the magic bird and the irony being that they each were sidelined for non-basketball reasons there was no on-court injury or anything it was just like oh man like life happened well, with Larry, I don't know that I, <laughs> I don't know that I'd call. Yeah, it was kind of a mistake, I would say. But well, here's the one that no one ever talks 
that. And it goes overlooked quite a bit is the summer of 93 was brutal for the NBA. It was just an, it was a train wreck. You had, as I mentioned, the death of Reggie Lewis with the Celtics. So that's when your marquee franchise is a big TV market and he's your best player. He passes away, dies. And it's sketchy. It's weird. Details are still murky, but also just traumatizes the team. The whole thing is just off. Drazen Petrovic, great player for the New Jersey Nets. I believe he's from Croatia. Dies sadly in a car accident. This is a guy who I think if he wasn't an all-star, he was about to be. He was averaging like 24, 25 a game. He was like Steph Curry in a way before Steph Curry. He was that kind of great shooter. And people mention his name to players from the 90s. They go, oh man. Because like he was one of those dudes where he was just super quick. He's with the Nets. And so the Nets were setting up. They had Kenny Anderson, Derek Coleman, Drazen Petrovic, Chuck Daly's their coach. All the pieces are in place for like, we're going to do some stuff. He dies in a car accident. I think it's either right after or right before Reggie Lewis. And then the retirement of Michael Jordan. So you lose in one summer, three all-star guards, all from the same conference, two dead, one off playing baseball. And really it's a bummer because I don't know if people remember those for all the trash people talk about him and how the league was like rigged and you know, it's got boring. Those couple of years without Jordan were brutal. Like that was really a, just a joyless, even as a notch. I mean, I liked the Bulls. They were like my kind of like, you know, surrogate team because they would be the Lakers. And so I was like, all right, cool. I'm cool with you guys. But (laughs) those are brutal years. Like you just had such low score. You know, it was teams that had done nothing but try to beat Michael Jordan all of a sudden trying to make baskets. And it looked like they didn't take the bottom out of the peach right. out of the peach bit. Like it was just like what it was just painful to watch and Shaq wasn't quite good yet. And it was just like I remember the all-star teams. If you look at that those 94 all-star teams, there's some names on there where you're like, whoa, like that was the all-star team. It's just like, yeah, it was just you really it really hurt you where you're like, oh, like we lost because they had already lost bird and magic. And you lose these three other guys, and it's just like Kareem had gone a couple years, and you're like, oh my gosh. And it was just no one was ready to step up. So I feel like those three things. I feel like it went wrong in 86. I feel like it went wrong with Bird and Magic off the court. And that summer in 93, because in theory, around 93, 94, maybe into 95, when people were starting to say basketball, they travel all the time, or they carry it, or Jordan doesn't get, you know, he gets all the foul, you know, having complaints about it. They did a great job keeping it going, but there are some tough, some of those games and nights are brutal to watch. But at that time, in 93, 94, into 95, maybe, you could have had the, the Bird and Magic farewell tours, which we never got, where they kind of call it a day on their own. And it's not because of that. Never got that. We never even knew when they played the last time that it might be the last time they play against each other. I think that had Magic not gotten sick, we would have had that in 91 or not, you know, the 91, 92 season. I think everyone knew with Larry that, okay, it's going to be soon. And they might have made a big deal about it. It could have been fun and poignant. Never got that. Those guys never got to play against each other one more time. We could have had that going on. We could have had Jordan and Bias as a rivalry, whether it's both Celtics or both someone else. So you would have had the great rivalry coming to an end, the new rivalry coming right up. And then also in terms of big man, imagine Sabonis and Shaq going at each other. That just would have been amazing. Like, how do they cover each other? The fact that 90s basketball could have have been so much better is mind-blowing to me. See, that's the thing is everyone makes it out like it was a good decade, but man, what a missed opportunity. There was so much that went wrong in that stretch of like seven years from like 86 to 93 that kind of flew under the radar because they were doing okay, but they really wiped out on a lot of things that were just kind of in some ways out of their control. By the time Jordan retired, you know, you remember it was a mess for a little while. You know, you had the low scoring games, you had the lockout, it was just people went away from it. And I think that it recovered for a little bit, like I said, in those years from from like 07 through the Warriors starting to win, people came back. But now their ratings are down again. Their ratings were down 16 to 17% NBA. Well, that's actually where my real quick, here's where it went wrong is I think the NBA does not know how to properly market itself. NFL fans will watch any NFL game. It doesn't matter if you're big market, small market. Green Bay is going to get just as many eyeballs as the Giants, more even. The NBA still has this idea that they need to focus on big markets. And that's why, I mean, we're recording this on the 27th, but last night they pulled the Grizzlies-Spurs game, which was a very close, very good game. And instead, they put up a blowout Knicks game where it's just like, yeah, it's fine. New York was playing. You got those eyeballs, but you put up a bad product. And it's not going to get more people watching basketball if that's what they have to see. So I think a major thing the NBA has to do is kind of go away from focusing on market shares and make their product something that people are able to just watch. 
even if you have NBA League Pass, you can't watch your own local team unless you also have a cable subscription so you can watch whatever local station your local team plays on. So I feel like they need to be better about making it easily viewable to everyone and not just something that, oh, if you're in New York or you're in LA, you get to watch a bunch of basketball. Otherwise, you have to do a bunch of add-ons. You have to do, you have to buy three different packages and really search to be able to watch your local team. I think that's great. Obviously, I don't have a lot to say on this, not being the basketball expert, but I think the big issue was when they took the bottom out of the peach basket. (laughs) Make the team work for it. Make them find a way to get it out of there. It builds character. Gets a little pause in between to come up with new play. I think that would have been fun. You get fun five to two scoring games. My thing is, and like, I just go back to it because there was a certain style of play in the mid 80s to the early 90s that worked. And like I said, it seemed like they did go back to it a little bit more, a little, just a little bit. Like when you had like Steve Nash and when you had, you know, Jason Kidd and then even guys in the, on the block like Garnett and Kobe and stuff like that, they were all fluid. They all kind of like, it kind of came back for a little bit and it was kind of beautiful to watch. Whereas, and then I think people tried to copy of the Warriors and it's just hard to do that. That's why I miss the grit and grind Grizzlies era because you would have those fucking 90s scores for all those games because they just played the best defense you would ever see. I think that era without Jordan halted things. I think that that era, like that 93, when you lost, those are three all-star guards. We're not in the league the next year. Two never were able to come back. And so to lose that, I think it gave good teams more nights off against teams they didn't have to worry about as much anymore because they were without somebody. It hurt the teams that lost the guys. And there was just this malaise. It really just did seem to be like, just grind it out and we'll try to score at the end. And then I think that when Jordan retired, both of his retirements, well, he's had three, but the two, the first two, the 93 and 98 were two times that I'm like, I think the league kind of lost its way a little bit. And I would even go back to the bad boy Pistons. No disrespect to anybody from Detroit, but I mean, that was not pretty to watch. You you know, a lot of people were turned off by those guys. And the interesting thing was that you had some players, particularly in Bias and Sabonis, that if they were able to come right over and got a chance, you know, to either play at all or play in their prime in the NBA, I think they would have carried that style. You know, it's it's sort of like one of the things the NFL has going for it is that it's always going to be the NFL. You know, there's never a year where they're like, God, everyone's just kicking field goals this year. It's always football. (laughs) You know what I mean? But in the NBA, it is. In the NBA, it's either, oh God, nobody scores. It's all fouls and deep. Or, geez, will everyone do anything other than shoot threes? And I think the great thing about the 80s, and I think what helped Michael Jordan was, there was continuity because of Larry and Magic. There was sort of, the game kept evolving. It kept going forward, getting better and better and better. And I think that the lack of individual marquee rivalries for quite some time. And you know what? That might be what I land on for where it went wrong. Is that it took them forever to get back to having another bird magic like rivalry. And I would say probably Kobe LeBron. And that was only for a few years. And that's some of the years I'm talking about the 07. So it's summing up. I would say they were never able to, they had all these, you know, they had Wilt and Russell and then, uh, you know, they had cream and Walton and, you know, bird magic. And then there was just like this 20 year gap of like, okay, who are the two best basketball players? And it was like, Oh, Jordan and Pippen. Oh, they're going to play. Now they're on the same team. It was like, Oh, so what? They're just going to win? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they Got did. It. Good. I don't know. Yeah. I don't need to watch. And they won every time. Yeah. If that is, I think, a good conclusion for where they went wrong, that should bring us to in their defense. We have to defend where it went wrong. So, what do you think, John? What were there any positive possibilities out of this? I think the positive one I'll start with is Arvidas because when he showed up to camp with the Blazers in 95, they all laughed at him privately and they didn't think he'd pass his physical. And like the team doctor, just told them there's no way this human will be able to play NBA basketball. (laughs) And he was clunky and all that, but he made it work. It was kind of inspirational to see this guy come over. He was a rookie. Like he was in the rookie game in his thirties. And it was kind of inspirational. It was like seeing someone just didn't give up on their dream. And we're like, I want to play in the NBA. And when he was finally able to come over legally and get out of his contract and everything. Yeah. We never got to see the the great Arvidas, but I think it was fun that he came, that he had the humility to say, yeah, I can stay here and keep killing everybody or I can give it a shot. And he was one quarter away from NBA finals in 2000. I mean, the worst collapse, one of the worst collapses I've ever seen, sadly, but he was one quarter away from going to the finals in 2000 against the Pacers and they might have won. 
like he might've won a title. And I think that, I think there for a long time, there was talk about bias, about drug awareness, but really, like I kind of said, I don't think we know the specifics of that case. And I think a lot of it was reactionary. And Adam McKay actually did a really good podcast about just the, all, the negative influence that had on black communities and on first time offenders and things like that. I'm sorry, bias is one of those things. I don't see any positives out of that. You hit one, so you don't have to hit every single, yeah. yeah, you don't have to do a tragic <laughs> death in Brightside. I don't see any positives with Bird either. I think that was just a really, I'm sure he thinks back to that day in the, in the driveway every year. Just, God damn it. Like thinks how much more he could have won. But I will say that what it gave us was with Jordan or, I mean, obviously nothing positive with, with Reggie or Drazen either, but what it gave us, what the nineties became famous for in the NBA, it was the comebacks. And so we got to see, it was really within the same year and a half where you had bonus show up and have everyone be, you know, like, Oh man, this guy's good. You know, magic did his comeback and went out on his terms. I mean, he was already a billionaire businessman by then he didn't need to be doing this. And it was just like, it kind of showed everybody that like, I remember that first game when everyone was like, Oh, look at him. Eh. And man, he went to town. He had a triple double, went around his head with the friend. You're just like, oh, it's like Uncle Drew. It's like in the second Iron Man when Tony Stark's just like, I'm just going to compete in F1 racing. And it's just like, you're just doing, you're just showing off. <laughs> you're just showing, you're a billionaire that's showing off how great he is. It was fun because it was like, he literally was showing these kind of grinded out, uh, whatever, 90s guys like, no, this is how you do it. And he killed them and they did have to try harder to like play against him. And then, you know, one of the greatest comebacks of them all, I'm back, you know, just a one page facts. And I will admit, you know, as a Celtics fan and it was the nineties were brutal and it took forever for them to, it was well into the two thousands before they were ever any good. But like, I sighed a relief when I heard Jordan was coming back. Cause I was just like, Oh, good. Cause man, I was like basketballs. I was seeing it go wrong with baseball at the time, but I was like, Oh man, basketball, they don't figure something out, man. And when he came back, I was just like, thank you. Like I was more like, Jordan. Yeah. And it was the same sort of thing. And it was like, so that period, it gave us some fun from 95, 96 of just like, you know, what if, so I would say those are the pauses they take away. We saw a guy come, you know, say, I'm going to give it a go even at a later age. And then we saw two of the greats come back and you guys are like, you know, Chicago and I can only imagine like what that must have felt like. We, I don't think we ever had anything like that here in New England. I'm going to sound like an idiot. I'm sure there is an obvious one that I'm forgetting. I mean, Antoine Walker came back for half a year, but that ended up really being much. But like, yeah, we never had that comeback of like, oh my God. Larry Bird did not have like, I fixed it. I fixed my <laughs> back muscles. Let's do this. Let's run it back. Hey, Larry Bird. What people don't know is that when he was consultant for the Celtics and then coaching the Pacers, he would scrimmage through the 90s secretly before the media got there. Because it was the training that it was like really killing him. So as long as he just like, you know, rode the exercise bike and kept his weight down. And uh, they talk about it as late as 2000. Reggie Miller, they were short for a scrimmage and Larry came in and his team won. Him and the bench guys versus Reggie Miller and the starters. And they said Larry hit like 11 shots in a row. Called game on a three and then just said, see you gentlemen tomorrow. The story is like, they all knew. They were like, I think that's it. I think that's the last one. And he never did it again. Yeah, he went late in traction. Yeah. No, he got a pickup full of beers. He yeah. drove around with uh, his friend Beezer for a while but yeah bird's one of those dudes we talk about a lot here in new england like they had modern medicine back then it's like you know electrotherapy and stuff but yeah so there's there was nothing other than you might get paralyzed but i remember when i was in seventh grade and those two other guys came back there was a lot of articles about is larry gonna come back and it was like are you crazy <laughs> yeah no like, he's definitely not going to do that that was exactly his answer in every article but as a kid i dreamt sure. i was like maybe Maybe. I think that's a great positive. When what do you have in their defense? Well, I did the TV contracts as mine. So I'm just going to say, as somebody who moved away from Memphis in college, was not able to watch Grizzlies games because I was a college kid that wasn't going to afford League Pass. And then I was a actor in Florida that wasn't going to afford League Pass. And sure. then I <laughs> became a comedian in Chicago and I couldn't afford League Pass. So I couldn't watch <laughs> the Grizzlies. So I will say all those moments have made being away and not being able to afford until so my wife got for me as a gift just recently. It's changed my entire fucking life. I love it. <laughs> but because of that, it made moments when they were on TV, those playoff runs where I was able, I went to a Chili's every single playoff game that the Grizzlies <laughs> played in Vero Beach, Florida for that entire playoffs. I was there for the first and second round. I would go to a Chili's and I would sit there for hours so I could watch the Grizzlies beat the brakes off the Trailblazers and then come so fucking close to stopping the Warriors 
this run from ever happening. But then Mike Conley got his face broken and Tony Allen went out with a calf injury and it just, they never were able to finish it off, but they would have, they would have finished it off and they could have won the championship that year, but it just fell apart near the end. So I will say it made those moments that much more special because I couldn't watch them because (laughs) the NBA did not fucking market their product correctly. And that's my defense. I agree with you. I know a friend who did this for the Detroit Pistons guy named CJ Toledano. And he went in as like a, they like came up with like a promo campaign. He's like a comedy writer, kind of get the Pistons back over. Yeah. I don't know why each, why the league doesn't put together like a creative staff, like a group of writers to like come up with promos and stuff for each team and come up with a character on the team that's unique and interesting. You can build a commercial around. Yeah. I mean, look how much gritty has done. Just like, here's this insane orange guy. And suddenly everyone's learning about the sport. Oh yeah. But I mean, like just take actual players who are interesting dudes, not Kyrie earth is flat. Yeah. yeah. But, like people who are just funny. <laughs> it's a personality driven league. Yeah. And they, they need to lean into it more and market it properly. Yeah. Give me like a documentary. Like, give me like a little bit on like, you know, if I don't know anybody on the Kings, oh, they're bad. Yeah. But they have somebody <laughs> who can juggle bowling balls on fire. Awesome. Make a commercial. And then I'll root for that guy. I think that's great. I think for me in their defense, dealing with the magic and bird having to cut out early. I think that it's important to consider that if, Michael Jordan didn't have that extreme dominance that that led to. There's no way that he would have been able to convincingly for us lead a team that included Tweety Bird and Bugs Bunny to victory. <laughs> That's true. Very fair. I've thought about that, man. I thought if I go to that other timeline, is that still Michael Jordan? And did they even make it <laughs> since he didn't retire? Like, I think if he had a rival, he, no way he would have retired. If they were like alternating, no, he would have gone. So it's like, what's the premise even? Is Kareem starring in Space Jam? Yeah. You know what's the premise? <laughs> the same premise as the new Space Jam, and it doesn't hold up as well. Yeah, yeah it doesn't work. That's a good point. Without Jordan stepping away, without that retirement, no Space Jam. And then we never would have had that song in the career of R. Kelly. Good night, everybody. <laughs> things are good well i'm glad we we looped it back into where it went so horribly wrong i mean that about covers it we've got the history of this our personal experience mine of course was extremely little all the times where it went wrong and in their defense i mean that's a show john ryman thank you so much for coming on and discussing with us thank you guys for having me i really appreciate it this is a lot of fun hire me brad i can fix the team i can make it happen we're all going to do a little bit of improv write some stand-up jokes and that'll the celtics will be great a week later (laughs) get them relaxed get them laughing gotta have fun out there that's what I gotta say. You're gonna yeah. patch Adams the Celtics. I am. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. Honestly, I realize I'm biased given our industry, but I truly believe if everyone hired comedy writers to help on whatever they do, it's going to help in some form. It's going to give you the little boost that you need. It might help me. Yeah. I'll just whisper things into Emi Odoka's ear. Yeah. Like instead of him getting mad, I'll be like, "Say, call, call this guy this thing," and then he'll do it. <laughs> This is obviously the premise for one of the many movies we've <laughs> come up with tonight, about the comedy writer who's leading the, the uh, team. But John, thank you so much for coming on today. Guys, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe. Guys, five stars. It helps out so much. We also have a Patreon down in the show notes that you subscribe to help us keep the show going. We'll be back next week. We hope you join us then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.